right, we are back for episode four and the last episode of 2021 here on Automatic. And Steffi, I can't believe we're saying the last episode of 2021. I'm just excited, though, that we actually got to start this podcast. Uh, we've talked about it and finally got things going. So it, it's a little bit of a slow start, it but is. it's happening right now. We are getting going. But the problem is, though, that we've had all of these interruptions in terms of games getting canceled or players playing, testing out because of COVID, etc. But more importantly, though, at least we did get to celebrate Christmas. So how was your holiday, your Christmas day? And please tell me there's no injuries off of the ramp that well, you gave your Well, if there's going to be anyone that's injured, it would be me. I am the most injury prone person. But of course, I took a, a beach cruiser off my uh, seven-year-old and four-year-old's what is it? BMX ramp. No injuries. It was fine. Everyone loves them. Uh, everyone loved their gifts. Um, I had a great Christmas. My cousin got engaged on Christmas. That was exciting. She's already planned her wedding. I did see that. Fantastic. Yes. She has been planning that wedding for years. So. <laughs> okay. And so was it finally, all right, Hey, hey, dude! Get the you ring, need man. To go ahead and Get pull the trigger the here, ring, bro. <laughs> yeah. He got the ring. He delivered. Um, sh- she's excited. So, um, you know, you and I were kind of talking about Christmas presents. You know, I'm I've been tinkering. Yes. I got a Traeger grill. Oh, okay. Fancy. Talk to me. Fancy. I still I've been wanting to try a Traeger. I know a lot of our listeners are grillers. You never know, right? Um, yes. If you're into slow and low, the Traeger's for you, but it's really a smoker that is being passed off as a grill. It's not a grill. Sorry. Ooh. Yes. Okay. Dropping the bomb here on automatic that the Traeger did not live up to your expectations, huh? I'm going to return it. What? You've got to give it a little bit more time, don't you? I don't like it. Uh, we got to get Eric McLean on the podcast to talk about, because I've seen some of his work that he's done on social media with his Traeger grill, and it looks fantastic. But Let so me ask why don't you, you like is it? Is it all barbecue that he makes? Brisket? Uh, no, I don't think so. Pulled pork, all that. No, I think he's done burgers. He's done steaks. I've definitely seen some of that. Why don't you like it, though? It doesn't get hot enough. It only gets 500 degrees. And I'm used to cooking with a grill that is, you know, 650, 700. You know, you can cook with it up. You know, this is kind of like a convection oven. Look, I'm not hating, but I was definitely surprised. I was really excited. I'm disappointed. If Traeger's listening, please contact me and uh, let's work something out. (laughs) Yeah, because, yeah, I think Steffi might need some help on her grilling technique (laughs) because she sounds a little picky that you have to have it above 500 degrees. 500 degrees is hot. What are you cooking that's over 500 degrees? Listen, my brother-in-law's a chef, okay? So they cook over an open flame at their restaurant, and that thing is, you know, 750, 800. I mean, it, it gets hot, so you can get a pretty good sear on something. I'm all about the sear. And with, with a grill that doesn't get as hot, can't sear it. I like a diamond on my steak. You feel me? Okay. Okay. I get it. Yes, I do. Well, okay. But all right. So then you're going to have to show me some of those grilling I got techniques. You, I got uh, you, Rich. We can do the podcast live. All right. I want to see some of those Ask around. I'm the grill master now. Oh, you are? Mm-hmm. Okay. I like that. I like that. All right, Traeger, you got to step up. Got to step up. Call me. I'm going propane. Nothing like eating gas. <laughs> And, and that's a controversy. There's a lot of people, they, you're not really grilling if you're using propane. This could be a debate because because I agree. 
I, that's why I wanted a Traeger. I wanted a more natural fueling source. Unfortunately, it just wasn't as hot as I thought. Like cooking, you know, when you open the grill and you set it on there, it loses like 50 to 75 degrees in a matter of like three to four seconds. So you can't like, you know, grilling is a social thing. You can keep it open and hang out. And it's just different. It's just not the vibe I was expecting. You learned a lot about my grilling <laughs> in this episode. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's why I, I want to see it in action as well, because that's my only, I guess, trouble why I haven't switched is why I still use propane, just because there's an aspect it's convenient. It's, it's easy. Convenient. It, it, yeah. it can get going and I can just, to your point, let it heat up and then boom, that's it. And, you know, I've gotten to a point where I understand my grill enough where I know where the knobs need to go to get to a certain temperature. And then it's easy from that standpoint. So it would be a whole nother thing that I have to learn with the Traeger. I'm not opposed to learning new techniques and, you know, something, but it's just, that would be a whole nother thing that I'd have to learn. So, but I do, I do need to learn some of your grilling techniques. So. I got you. I got to you, do that. All right. All right, so let's do turn to some college basketball, uh, obviously on the men's and women's side. And we've talked about our outline before, Steffi, that we want to highlight a team. We want to highlight what's upcoming in terms of, you know, a game that you should be anticipating, a big matchup, and what to look forward to in that game. Maybe some nuances you should be looking at and maybe even prediction of what might happen in that game based on you know what we've seen through eyes as college basketball analysts. But, Steffi, we can't. It, it seems like every time we talk about an upcoming game, the game doesn't get played because of COVID right now and postponements. And it's absolutely insane, and especially even as a Clemson grad like me, I was looking forward to the game on Wednesday, December 29th, where Coach K was coming into Little John his last time in Little John, and the game gets canceled because of COVID. And now they're saying they're going to try to reschedule it, but when are they going to be able to put it back on the schedule? I mean, I just don't know when that can happen. So we can't even talk about some of these upcoming games because we might talk about it and the game doesn't even happen. And that's happened to us several times. Well, the good thing is, you know, we talked last week about changes and that changes needed to happen. Maybe someone was listening, Rich, to you and I, because there we, we were go. on it. It's about time. We were on it. Look, yes. something has to give when you're doing the same protocols from a year ago when circumstances are completely different. And I, I'm happy to see that um, players can, who are especially who are asymptomatic, you know, they're not confined to their rooms. They can test out quicker. And, you know, that's good for their mental health. That's better for them. And, um, you know, teams no longer having to forfeit which is considered a loss, right? You know, that's that was a huge rule we saw coming all across Power Fives. Yes, and that was before even we saw the changes in some of the COVID protocols and policies in reference to players that test positive. That's what we were also talking about is that it's ridiculous that you're going to punish a team where they're trying to do everything they can in the right manner and not have a situation where they can't play the game. And then you're going to penalize them especially in situations where the protocols don't even match for players who have been vaccinated, they're asymptomatic and they test positive and they still have to sit out for 10 days. That just makes no sense. So at least there were smarter minds that got together and understood that you can't have that big of a negative aspect on some of these teams calling for forfeits. Uh, You've got to try to look at, 
either it's a no contest or trying to get it rescheduled. And then you can evaluate at the end of the season, but don't go ahead and start punishing people. And it was interesting to see that the ACC, when they made their change, it came a few days after they had already canceled the Boston College Wake Forest game. And it was going to be a win for Wake Forest and obviously a loss for Boston College. But then two days later, they come out with a new policy, but they grandfathered previous forfeits or cancellations into the policy. So now that Wake Forest-Boston College game is just considered a no contest. So at least they were able to do that. Well, you think about contract tracing as well, where players or staff, anyone who comes into contact with, and maybe that person's asymptomatic, but then you're out and it's, it's wild. I, you know, I was talking to a good friend of mine and, you know, she has no symptoms and she was, you know, told to stay in her room for 10 days. And, you know, fortunately she's okay. And it was through contract tracing. Um, she's good to go. And she, like I said, protocols are changing, um, which is great. We want everyone to be healthy and, you know, I've got a game here on Thursday. I'm covering a Texas A&M Vanderbilt game. And there's a player for Vanderbilt who last season couldn't even play because she had myocarditis, right? Yeah. Inflammation of the heart. So she didn't even know. She couldn't even walk at a fast pace for five months. So it's a miracle. She's playing now. Her myocarditis went away. So she's actually out on wow. the court, which is, I mean, a miracle. I mean, absolutely amazing. So we've... Learning more as we go, and I'm just I'm I'm glad as as this has gone on since we've talked that you know some changes have been made for the sake of you know the game, players, coaches, and for everyone. You know we want, you know I, I wonder now too if the the tournament if they need to have backup plans, contingency plans, like just to make sure everything's good to go because based on all the cancellations, I've already seen two. Um, on the just in the SEC where I'm kind of based out of on the women's side games postponed so I just hope it gets better Rich I hope you know everyone everyone does their part we're all trying to be safe we're all trying to protect um, ourselves and our loved ones so just hoping for the best but man it's been it's been tough it has been a roller coaster ride and with the CDC changing their guidelines which That's what was the ultimate that allowed the conferences the ability to change their guidelines. But I'm hoping, though, that we can be in a situation where there's like a universal. These are the guidelines off of the protocols. Wouldn't it be nice? One institution, uh, the NCA could come out and just as a whole, here's our here's our protocol across the board. And there'd be some uniformity to it because it, it everything varies by conference. Um, and it's just hard to follow because everything's changing so fast. And I was, it's funny you bring, bring it up just two years ago. I had just finished the SEC tournament. I was in Indiana for another tournament, fly back to Atlanta, was changing, uh, was heading back to the airport. I was at the airport and was going to do another tournament in, in a few days. And that's when started the, the, tournament started canceling, right? Uh, started with conference tournaments. And so I was ready to board a flight to JFK to do, I forget which conference it was. And I just didn't get on the plane. I was like, there's no way this is, I didn't get on the plane. Oh, nobody told you not to no, go. They you said, just decided not to yeah, go. They said go. And I was like, no, <laughs> I just didn't get on. Wow. And like four or five hours later, the producer of my game was like, it's off. 
Yeah. <laughs> We're like, no shit. Yeah. I knew it was going but to be I'm, off, right? I'm getting ready to travel for this game on Thursday, and I'm just like, am I going to be in this? I'm going to get on the plane because I would love to call the game. Um, but you just, you don't know with the cancellations um, how things are going to go. But I'm just trying to stay optimistic. I know. Well, I'm wondering, well, I'm wondering too then, Steph, is are they going to have you in a situation where, hey, we're just going to, where we thought you were going to be in person, we're just going to switch that to doing remote calling of these games right now. Um, they're doing that. I had a, a game in Gainesville on Sunday that I was going to go to, but it was removed to um, from home. So that is the benefit with uh, all the networks basically having remote studios is that if they need to, if, if they want to still keep a game going out of safety, um, you know, that they can just say, hey, just stay home and do it from home. It's crazy <laughs> how, how, how it's so, it's very convenient. And um, so I'll just fly back here um, and do the game. It was Florida, Georgia game, you know, great rivalry game. I was looking forward to yeah. that, but do it from my house. All good. But let's, let's switch gears, Rich. Let's, if we can off COVID, I know everyone is so COVID out. Yes. Everybody's tired of COVID. Yes. Everybody's tired of that. We're trying to get into 2022, a new chapter, New year, think positive, stay positive. But <laughs> wait, we don't want to. You can't even hardly say that because <laughs> you know I don't want to yep. say positive with COVID, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't. You you will be quarantined. No, I don't. But one of my headlines yes. uh, this week, which uh, was really controversial, actually, uh, Muffet McGraw, legend, right from Notre Dame, she came out and was very critical of ESPN, who I work for saying that it is basically a Yukon network. And I thought that was really interesting that she said that. Um, there's probably a lot of people that feel that way. And as someone who works for the network and who's someone who covers Connecticut, well, they're on TV a lot and we talk about them a lot because they're, they've always been successful as long as I've been working for ESPN. But she was very critical and she works for ESPN. I know, which is yes. something you, you see don't. Her on the ACC network. ESPN yeah. writes her checks, so I I took time to I listened to the podcast. She went on Kate Fagan's podcast, who used to work for ESPN. She's under a Dan Lebetard's Meadow Shark company, his media company. Um, and I thought Muffet was honest. She spoke her truth and how she feels. You know, NBC is basically an uh, an arm to NB uh, to Notre Dame where she coached. Yes. And but she right. said the bias at ESPN about Connecticut is horrible. Do you feel that way? Well, I mean, I would have to say you do see it. I mean, I think there's an aspect of one Connecticut women's team is so good and they have been for so many years. And then two, it's just also geographically it's convenient. I mean, they're a Connecticut team, you know, so there's, I think a bias just, that within itself. And just think from ESPN's perspective, I mean, they're in the business of trying to get the highest ratings. And we know what typically gets the highest ratings. It's the best teams. That's just the reality of it. And I know that might not be what Coach McGraw wants to hear, but I think there's an aspect of that. I mean, you see it in, I mean, it's Alabama on the football side. Yeah. I mean, they're getting all the love, right? I mean, because they're They've been the most dominant team. And I think people were actually getting tired of Clemson for a period of time uh, because they seem to be this upstart. And 
you know, people were complaining about Clemson uh, on the football side, not on the basketball side. We know that <laughs> it's not happening. Coach Brown, now we're going to have a good year, though. <laughs> but yes, I think there is something to be said. These the best teams are going to get the most publicity and the most airtime. That's just the reality of it. You mentioned Alabama. You could talk about the Patriots when Tom Brady was there. The yes. Cowboys, Connecticut women's basketball. It's I think there's this tie of love and hate is why you see them so often. But the point that Muffet McGraw made that kind of made me, I don't know, open my eyes a little bit was she said when Paige Beckers went out, because, you know, like there's like four or five players on national watch lists, right? Connecticut is stacked. They're loaded. But when Paige Beckers went down, did it look like four or five National Player of the Year candidates were on the floor? Or was that Connecticut bias? She made she made some good points. And the thing that I really respect about Muffet McGraw, obviously, you know, she's paved the way for a lot of um, coaches and players and is a tremendous mentor, is that maybe if she's seeking change, maybe she's, she spoke out because she'd like to see other institutions on SportsCenter. Uh, you know, and and there had been complaints previously that that wasn't taking place. But if you watched our tournament last year on ESPN, I saw Carolyn Peck on Sports Center and uh, on Get Up. It, you know, there was more uh, more women's college basketball players out there, and so it was just it was just kind of interesting. I wanted to get your take on it. If you kind of felt like there is, do you think we settled it? Do you think she was right or wrong to speak out? Or no, I. I, I admire her for speaking out. And I, I think if you're wanting to continue to grow the women's game, I think you have to have more than just Connecticut as the team that is highlighted all the time. I mean, you just, you definitely have to. And I think that's what uh, she's referring to is that for the betterment of the game, it can't just be all Connecticut that's on ESPN. Because I do feel that right now there's momentum uh, with the women's game. And no it's doubt. a shame that a star like Paige Beckers goes down, but there's so many other stars uh, in women's basketball that people probably are just not familiar with because there was this bias towards Connecticut. And again, it's a business and these executives are, I think, making decisions based on what they feel is going to get the highest ratings. And, you know, can that, those higher ratings turn into more revenue, but Again, at that tipping point right now, if you can get some other women's teams, you know, on TV, and when you have it in some of the coaches as well, when you got Kim Mulkey, I mean, again, somebody who can be, you know, that love hate type of relationship that you're talking about, she can move the needle, she right? Moves the needle, and, you know, yeah. Yes, and so if you can have some of those players also that you can emphasize some of the stars, then you can start moving the needle a little bit more and continue this momentum for. Uh, women's basketball. Well, the rivalry between Notre Dame and Connecticut also got, you know, pretty heated. And I think the media really relished in Gino going against Muffet. And, you know, she kind of talked about how he could say whatever, but coaches would go to her and say, hey, don't say that. And she's like, well, why can't I say what I want to say? It's kind of like how you talked about why the women on the women's side, they can't show emotion and they get yes. heat up, right? She, exactly. She made, you know, I, I just it was a, it was an interesting um, she had 
she really made good points that kind of made you just, I like things that provoke thought, you know, that kind of get a reaction and it kind of makes you take a step back and think about, hmm, okay, you know, why, why was that? So, you know, maybe we'll see more stars. You know, I, I do think, you know, obviously I, I cover women's college basketball for ESPN. I mean, we, we do our best. I mean, I, I talk about a lot of players outside of UConn. I mean, if UConn has stars, we talk about UConn, but it's, I think it's yeah. given those comments. And I think the way the tournament went, I just think there's, there's more players involved now. I mean, you know, South Carolina is kind of like a, a house. Don Staley is kind of a, uh, more of a household name for people who watch basketball. So we'll see. I thought it was interesting. No, I, I think it's very interesting. And I, I'm anxious to see how that all plays out because I, I do think there's other teams, especially when you mentioned like a South Carolina or an Arizona, that's somewhat of an upstart, you know, that you're seeing on the, on the women's side. And then, I mean, you can't forget about the usual suspects as well, though. And you've got Kim Mulkey now at LSU and then obviously Tennessee. I mean, there's there's still teams that will still move the needle and get eyeballs watching as well. Now, on the men's side, for me, the headline it does revert back to the COVID situation. I was just glad to see, and we've already talked about it, so I won't belabor it, but just that the conferences did make the changes in the testing protocols, policies, however you want to describe that, especially for vaccinated asymptomatic players and being able to test out of those situations where you're having to sit out in a much faster, shorter period of time. So that's good that hopefully that will lead to situations where we won't have these cancellations or major fluctuations within the schedule. Because if if not, then we're going to be in a real tough situation to get all these games in. It's going to be very difficult. So but now switching from that to my team of the week, Stephanie, you got, Rich. is you got. I've got the David versus Goliath, and that is Davidson beating Alabama. What a great win for Bob McKillop. And this is a team that, you know, out of the Atlantic 10, and they've been in the Southern Conference where they made their big splash, obviously, in 2008 and that magical run in the NCAA tournament with some guy named Steph Curry, who also, congratulations to Steph Curry for becoming the NBA's all-time three-point leader, uh, which is amazing. And quick question for you then. Is Steph Curry the best shooter in basketball history? Without question. Yeah, you can't even debate it, right? Yes, you can't even debate it. Pure shooters? I mean, I know that people put, you know, Ray Allen, just like pure shooter. But the way that Steph does it, and it's kind of like, it's revolutionized, I feel like, generations. Because when you look at LeBron, you look at Steph Curry, who do you more look like? Yeah, I I can relate to Steph Curry. No, wait a second. No, wait a second. (laughs) You've seen me, Steph. I look like LeBron, right? (laughs) Definitely LeBron. You're right. Just minus the tan. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know... Steph's just, he's changed the game in a lot of ways. And and uh, the players and kids that want to emulate him because they they can look like him, you know? Yes. And it's, a, it's attainable. And he's got a tremendous work ethic. So best shooter, hands down. I don't hands know if we'll down. see another no, one like Steph. Yeah. I don't think so either. And based on what he's going to be able to do, continuing his career, granted he's just 34 years old. So he's got several more years in the NBA so I think this is going to be a record that nobody's ever going to be able to touch. And Ray Allen, he had his record 
by playing 1,300 games. Steph Curry, he broke the record in under 800 games. I mean, that's insane, the difference, number of games, how fast he was able to do that. So anyway, but this was not about Steph Curry's Davidson team. This was a Davidson team that now in the Atlantic 10, this was a crazy situation where you had both teams in a situation where, yes, their games had been canceled and they're like, hey, we can play. We're in Birmingham. We'll play. And so kudos to both uh, coaches, uh, uh, Nate Oates and uh, Bob McKillop for being able to say, yes, let's go ahead and do it. And But this is one of those situations where you're not prepared for one of these teams and Number 10, Alabama, was not prepared for Bob McKillop team. And it was a great job by uh, Davidson to hold them off. Yeah, though, how about that ending? Alabama. How about that ending? Yes. Ay, ay, ay. Gosh. Gosh. Alabama came roaring back and two critical turnovers by Davidson right there at the end when they were leading 79 to 75. And Javon Quinterly gets to the free throw line with the game that 79 to 77 makes the first one and then misses the second one. And this is an almost 70% free throw shooter and misses that second one. And Davidson's going on to, to win that game 79 to 78, but it it was a big time win for Davidson. Their first win against a top 10 team since that 2008 NCAA tournament. And also it was their first regular season win over a top 10 team since 1970. So it'd been a long time since Davidson had been able to do that. So that's my team of the week. Good choice. My team of the week is, they didn't necessarily play last week, but it's the compilation of what they were able to do in the non-conference is the Arizona Wildcats. Adia Barnes, she's, she is a hell of a coach. You know, she didn't even think she was going to be a coach. She was very successful at Arizona, pro, uh, just wanted to play and do whatever, you know, after her career, she got into coaching and I'm so glad our game has her. Arizona got to the national t- title uh, just a year ago and they lost one of their best players, Ari McDonald to the WNBA. So I think a lot of people thought probably not going to be that good this year, but they were ranked 22, uh, 22nd in the country um, in the preseason and they are undefeated and sitting at the one line uh, in our ESPN's prediction of the NCAA tournament seedings. And I'm like, we've, we've got to give it to Arizona and Adia Barnes because they kind of proved some people wrong now. They've got a ways to go. They're going through some COVID stuff right now, but I do like her team. She's got a ton of a ton of transfers. And she, I think because she's younger and she's just got this vibe about her that she can get players to buy in really quick. And that's what you need when you have transfers. you got to buy in really quick. And I think that's kudos to the coaching staff and obviously the head coach that can have people come in and buy into that culture pretty quickly because that's a challenge when you're bringing some or these players that have already been in other programs and, you know, that you have been able to have that opportunity straight from high school and, you know, have them, you know, from day one be part of your program. That's a little that's definitely a challenge. And I think the better coaches that can adapt to that quickly because we know how important the transfer portal is, especially in college basketball, they're going to have better success in the long run. Well, and I think it speaks to her playing career as a professional because you bounce around from different teams and you're thrown into different situations with star players and veterans and all kinds of personalities. She's able to navigate that really well. 
So, you know, uh, just hats off to Arizona. Looking forward to what they do in the Pac-12. Fantastic. Okay. And unfortunately, the men for Arizona couldn't keep up with the women. And I'm so disappointed. But you were right. You called that Tennessee was going to beat Arizona. And that was my game of the week. That's the one that they did get to play. And this was unfortunately just a situation where Tennessee came out and punched Arizona in the mouth quickly, up 16 to 2, and Arizona just couldn't get back in the game. Now, they did fight back and get within three points there in the second half, I think, but it was just, you know, too much Tennessee, and the crowd was going crazy there. And unfortunately, so my team, my game, I was thinking that Arizona would be able to do it. On the road, they were not able to do it. So good call, Steffi. Didn't you kind of side-eye me for that? Yes, I did. did. Yes, you 100%. At me like I, was crazy. I did. I Rick Barnes is sneaky. <laughs> I, I tell you, there's like two or, three a game, two or three games like that where like they'll just sneak one out. And you're like, what? And that, I know, they but came he also, out and just were ready to play. They were prepared. They had time off. And I feel like that definitely was did. an advantage for them. That's right. Yeah, I, I agree. And they were coming off of that momentum. I think what he did, again – playing that inter-squad scrimmage when the Memphis game canceled. That seemed to, I don't know, just give a bolt of energy uh, to the team. And they were ready for Arizona. And uh, we'll see what uh, Tommy Lloyd does now moving on, you know, into the rest of the season, how they respond after uh, their first loss from that perspective. All right, I do have to mention, though, just a player that – a stat just absolutely crazy. And we had talked about Western Kentucky beating Louisville – in the face of all the adversity with the tornadoes in Connecticut and uh, in Connecticut, in Kentucky. UConn uh, bias. The, the, <laughs> you can, <laughs> you got exactly. It's in your right. head now. Sorry, rubbing off. It is. <laughs> but what Western Kentucky was able to do, and then they get rescheduled because the Louisville-Kentucky game is canceled. And so Western Kentucky says, hey, we'll play you, Coach Calipari. Why not? Well, it, it, they were overmatched. But when you have somebody like 6'9", 260-pound Oscar Shibway, he had 28 rebounds in that game and 14 points. And this is a guy who is just dominating not only the offensive glass, but defensive glass as well. And I know Western Kentucky shot very poorly in that game, just over 30%. I get that. But still, he had more rebounds than... Western Kentucky had as a team just by himself. (laughs) I mean, yes, that's just absolutely insane from that perspective. And, you know, last year, Kentucky finished number 269 in defensive rebound rate, despite having the fifth tallest lineup in the country. And that's according to Ken Palm. Now this year, Kentucky's 23rd in Ken Palm and defensive rebound rate. And that's because of Shibway. And I just think that what you see from a guy who hasn't been playing basketball very long, but when you have a motor like he does, and you know, Steffi, rebounds sometimes, it's not about the height and, you know, how high you're above the rim and grab rebounds. It's about hustle. We talked about it. And that's what you see on the women's side. Some of the better rebounding teams on the women's side are the teams that you know are going after it full bore each and every time they see a ball go off the rim. Going and getting it is just like something that we don't really talk about that much, but you don't get that many rebounds by just jumping straight up. You know, you got to go get it. And that's the difference. You can have tall players, but if you don't have a little bit of, uh, you know, reading it off the rim or, 
you know, that pursuit, the Dennis Rodman pursuit. I mean, Dennis Rodman was one of my favorite players. I loved rebounding. I was a rebounding guard. And you, you just, Ooh, yeah, okay. my senior year, I, I think I was second on the team in rebounds. So I always, I always go. have respect for rebounding guards because you got to get in there and you just got to be scrappy and find a way to get a rebound. And where I feel like I excelled a little bit on the rebounding side is just reading it off the rim. Because as a shooter, when, when you see someone shoot it, you kind of, you, you know how the ball's rotating or where it's going to hit. So kind of have an advantage there. Yes. So anyway, I like your player of the week. Well done. He had a fantastic game. Again, 28 rebounds, 14 points. He played 35 minutes, 6 of 12 from the field, made both of his free throws, only had two turnovers, one block, three steals, and he only had one foul in 35 minutes and 28 rebounds. So he, he was doing yeoman's work there <laughs> for Kentucky. And they might, Kentucky now, uh, they might have started figuring I, some things out. I think they're starting to click at the right time. Yes, they are. And I, I, I've been the one to say that it's Alabama's, the team in the SEC, it's their opportunity to win an SEC championship. But I don't know. Kentucky's right there now. And your sneaky Rick Barnes is <laughs> lurking as well. Yeah. <laughs> and you can't even forget about LSU. We got it, you know, on the men's side as well. So SEC is going to be very competitive this season. Yeah, I'm, look, I'm looking forward to, to both sides, men's and women's. I think it's going to be really competitive. And I feel like with all the cancellations or just pauses, players are, are that much more eager to get out there and, and compete. You know, there's this elevated sense of urgency on the court, so I'm expecting it to be uh, pretty freaking competitive. I'm ready for it. Yes, I would agree. That, that's a great word, urgency. All right, so automatic for the week. Steffi, I'm going to jump in here and go with mine. Right now, there's five teams on the men's side that are still undefeated. You've got number one, Baylor, number seven, Southern Cal, number eight, Iowa State, number 16, LSU, and number 20, Colorado State. And I don't think many people would have suspected that Colorado State or Iowa State would have be undefeated at this point, considering Iowa State. Remember last year, they only won two games. Yeah, we, so we learned that from Terrence. There, Terrence gave us, the <laughs> yes, exactly. gave us the runaround on Iowa State. Yes, he sure did. And that was in episode two. So if you want to go back and listen to that, you definitely can. But my automatic then is that of those five remaining undefeated teams, two of them will lose before our next episode. So before next week, two of those are going to lose. And now I would have to say I'm getting a little bit of a crutch here. And the reason I say that is because Baylor and Iowa State play each other. So for sure, we know one of them's going to lose. Oh my God, Rich. <laughs> do I need to check you exactly. before we come up with these? God. <laughs> yes, you do. Yes, you do. Hey, Looking but, like a Skip hey, Bayless over there. Baylor has to play Northwestern State before they play Iowa State. So there's a chance they could actually lose even before that. But I, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, but I do think that you're going to see a situation where number 16 LSU, their next game is at Auburn again. Hopefully everything goes according to plan, that there won't be any COVID issues. But I think Bruce Pearl is going to get the upset there at Auburn. Mark that one down. That'll be the other team that loses. I like that. I Auburn is is, a, is similar to Tennessee where they just get hot yes. at certain points throughout the season and pick up, you know, one or two of those wins. 
that seem to get them back in, you know, in the conversation in the SEC. My automatic this week is on the men's side or on the women's side, we'll have at least one triple-double. Ooh, okay. And we don't see that often in college basketball. I, I, there's just been such an uptick, especially on the women's side with the way that players can dish, rebound, score. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see one on the women's and the men's. I know that we do this every week, but that's, yeah, I think that, that I'd like to see that. I'll have to, I don't know how we can track it considering the amount of games, but surely uh, we can find out. We well, can it, we, can it, it, we, will, we will find that out because I would have to say there's not many triple doubles that actually occur in college basketball. And I look to a local team here in Greenville, South Carolina, where I live, Furman University. Jalen Slauson had a triple double three weeks ago, and that was the first ever triple double at Furman University. And that blows my mind that he was the first person ever to have a triple double at that school. I mean, they've been playing basketball for a long time at Furman. They've had a player, Frank Selvey, in the 50s. He scored 100 points, but they haven't had a player to have a triple double. That's just crazy. So, Triple doubles are not that common in college basketball. Now, obviously, when Oscar Robertson played, yeah. yes. Uh, but since then, that's not a situation where it happens quite often. So we will keep our eyes open for that, for your automatic of the week. All right, Steffi and everybody else, that is it for us with this final 2021 edition. And if you haven't already, Please follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and let us know your thoughts by rating and reviewing. And as always, thanks for investing your time to listen. Happy New Year, and this is Automatic.